This episode of Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point is sponsored by Blue Bridge Games. For the games and gifts you won't find anywhere else, head to Grand Rapids, Michigan's friendliest local game store, Blue Bridge Games. Blue Bridge Games carries an extensive line of board games, card games, role-playing tabletop games, Magic the Gathering, and more. Stop into their storefront on East Fulton or shop with them online at bluebridgegames.com. You say you want to watch a drama. You say you want to watch a comedy. Well, you can watch it with your mama. Or you can watch it with your daddy. You'll even sit and watch it with your middle schooler. So you can come and talk around our water cooler. We're watching all day and all night. Couch Potatoes Unite. Whoa, whoa. Couch Potatoes Unite. Whoa. Welcome to a brand new episode of the podcast entitled Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point, which is based on a blog of the same name because we may not be midwives, but that's what we're called. So call us Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point. It's simple. I'm the blogger in question and the self-styled chief couch potato. My name is Kylie and I love TV. If you feel the same, keep listening and or checking out our website, couchpotatoesunite.wordpress.com, as you're bound to find some common ground or something you like. For at Couch Potatoes Unite, we're all about the wonders and the unique long-form storytelling of the small screen. CPU! Exclamation point. Hopes have been following releases of brand new episodes of the podcast on Wednesdays, as well as new blog entries on some Tuesdays. And as always, we have several more new episodes on the way. Because the panels and I live lives behind our podcast, the episodes are published once per week. Subscribe to the website or podcast via iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Amazon Music, basically wherever you get your podcasts to stay on top of brand new episodes. Episodes already published discuss a variety of shows around the water cooler, including but not limited to Stranger Things, iZombie, The Good Place, Game of Thrones, Grace and Frankie, Mr. Robot, Alter Carbon, The Orville, Outlander, Westworld, Fuller House, Schitt's Creek, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Big Little Lies, and The Good Doctor. Plus, new episodes are in the works, including revisits for The Hundreds, Supernatural, This Is Us, Charmed, Riverdale, the American Horror Story Franchise Series Panel. We'll talk about Season 1 of American Horror Stories. The DCTU Series Panel will reflect upon Season 4 of Black Lightning, and the Star Trek 50 Plus Series will discuss Season 1 of Deep Space Nine. We'll be launching new panels covering The Animaniacs, Killing Eve, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, American Gods, Grey's Anatomy, Cobra Kai, Peaky Blinders, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, A Discovery of Witches, and the hauntings of Hill House and Bly Manor. And because we look back at shows now past, we'll travel through time and experience all sorts of identities with Quantum Leap. We'll cry bazinga for Big Bang Theory. We'll navigate the witty political satire of Parks and Recreation. We'll become psychos for Psych. We'll go where everyone knows your name with cheers. We hope you'll be listening when we talk about <laughs> Frasier. And we know that's what she said when we talk about The Office, both from the UK and the USA. By the way, did you know that CPU also from time to time goes live? We've been live from bunkers, comedy shows, comic-cons, and game stores. Plus, we're planning more live appearances and other cool stuff, including in whatever we're calling these times right now. So make sure you like or follow us at our Facebook page, our Twitter at CPU Podcast, our Instagram at Couch Potatoes Unite, or subscribe to the website, our YouTube channel, our Apple iTunes channel, or our Stitcher Radio channel, or find us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. In the meantime, if you don't hear a show in this podcast format, fellow panelists and I still write reviews and we always seek new panelists, so if you have any interest in joining the discussion, say hello by finding us at any of the outlets I've mentioned. At the very least, stop by and leave us a thumbs up, comment, or review. We like feedback, 
even with the stern tones of Sister Evangelina underlying it all. Today, we're around the water cooler and taking a first look at a British period drama that airs on the BBC in the UK and on PBS in the USA. The series is called The Midwife, and it's a series that was popularly requested for discussion by a combination of seasoned and unpeeled couch potatoes alike. As we start this new ongoing panel and catching up series, today's episode, of course, covers both seasons one and two. And if you're not already aware, you should know that from time to time, your chief couch potato and main moderator, that's me, needs a break, particularly when I think others are more passionate about the show we're discussing in the moment. Case in point, today's episode, which I am not here to moderate. Rather, frequent panelist Krista returns to the moderating microphone for this series. She is our fifth most involved panelist currently and one of our moderating team, having previously co-moderated How to Get Away with Murder, and who currently moderates are the Crown Panel. In this episode, Krista is joined by two of our occasional to frequent panelists, two brand new voices, and of course me kicking back as a panelist myself. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome back Krista to the moderating microphone. Take it away, Krista. Thanks, Kylie. You're welcome. Welcome to CPU's new panel called The Midwife. Based on the memoirs of Jennifer Worth, the show follows Jenny Lee as she navigates the trials and tribulations as a midwife in the East End of London. As a member of Nanata's House, an order of Anglican nursing nuns, Jenny and company have lots of interesting adventures. And I wanted to have a quick note. Seasons one and two cover the period of, from 1957 to 1958. Season one is 1957 and season two is 1958. And also for those playing along at home, our Christmas specials will be considered the first episode of the new season. And at this time, I would like the panel to introduce themselves and the returning panelists know the drill. But here's a quick reminder. Please identify yourself by your first name and how you came to watch Call the Midwife. How did you find out about it? What made you start watching? And what made you keep watching? Then I would like you to rate it overall. Five out of five nuns. You love it. Four out of five nuns. Eh, you like it. Three out of five nuns. It's okay. Two out of five nuns. Meh. And one out of five nuns. Skip it. We also are going to rate the show based on some very special CPU rating system. You love it. Every episode was played with your emotions, but in the end, there's always a cup of tea and cake, like Sister Monica Joan. Poplar is a whole new world to you, and though you've been trained, you're unsure if you can always stomach it, like Jenny Lee. There are parts, like Peter Noakes, you love, but you feel like it's missing something, or maybe you're the odd one, like Chummy. There is a deep sadness there when you're having trouble shaking, but you keep going, because what else is there to do? Like, Dr. Turner, and well, Sister Evangelina too. Something is off and you need to change it. You're not feeling that's after all, like Sheila, AKA Sister Bernadette. All right, who would like to go first? Hi, I am Sarah. Hi, Hi Sarah. Sarah. I started watching Call the Midwife because Netflix told me to. It suggested it and I just thought it looked good. I didn't really know anybody that was watching it. So I, I, it was a whim. I kept watching it because I really enjoyed it. And I remember talking to Krista about it because I think, Krista, you were one of the only people I knew that was also watching it. So we've long been talking we about it together. Bonded during that 100 episode thing where we only, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would rate it overall five out of five nuns. Love it. And 
I identify most with Sister Monica Joan. I love every single episode. And even though they are super emotional, I always, in the end, like really think they do a good job of wrapping up a theme or a conflict. And I want more. Wonderful. Thank you. Welcome back, Sarah. Who wants to go next? So hello, everybody. My name is Gina. Hi, Gina. And hi. And I started watching Call of Midwife. It was very similar kind of thing. Netflix had kept suggesting it. I am a sucker for period dramas, so I decided I would give it a shot. And I absolutely loved it. I think I watched like six episodes in one day, which might have been all of season one or close to it. And then I was hooked. Definitely. I'd give it five out of five nuns. And I'd absolutely relate to Sister Monica Joan. It's not always an easy show to watch, but it, it's, it's just a beautiful show, I think, is the best way to put that. Thank you, Gina. Welcome. Welcome back. Gina has been here before. Gina yeah. has been here. Yes. Not with me, but it's our first panel together. I'm Allison. I started watching Call the Midwife kind of in a weird backwards way. I did a semester in the UK in 2014 when I was a junior in college. And at that time, they were about midway through season three when I finally found it while channel flipping one Sunday night when I was bored. And I'm like, oh, a lot of my British friends online have talked about this show and they say it's really good. I don't know much about it, but I'll give it a try. And I was absolutely hooked from that moment on. I only got to watch season three because that was all that was available. But then when I got back home and, you know, had access to the good American Netflix, I was able to go back and meet the characters that I hadn't met before, which was Chummy and Jenny, because she'd already left at that point. I love this show, Five Out of Five Nuns, because I think it's one of the shows that does a really good job with portraying strong female friendships on television. We don't always get to see that in media. They either don't have enough female characters to go around or they like to put them against each other. But the core of Call the Midwife is women supporting women, and I love that. And I'm also totally Sister Monica Joan. I think that the show does a really good job of juggling that big ensemble cast and telling really important stories that still resonate even though the show takes place 50, 60 years Great. Thank you, Allison. Welcome. Welcome to Couch Potatoes Unite. Allison is a brand new panelist. So that leaves me. I'm Vicki. Hi, Vicki. Um, hello. And I would also rate it five out of five nuns. I love it. And I started watching it because Allison, who you just met, is my daughter. Dynamics. And she told me I had to watch it. And I think we're on our fourth time watching all of the episodes. I am a total Sister Monica Joan, love every part, and one of the things I really like is I think they do romanticize, like, the clothes. Oh, my God, the clothes. And the food. I mean, I just want to have sponge cake all the time. (laughs) But I think the, the bare bones, when you get down to the stories and when you get down to the birthing, except they're always like, they look like they're two months old after they're born. It's very raw and it's very real. And I really appreciate that because I don't think you get that much anywhere. If it's TV or film, you don't get a lot of realness. And so I really appreciate that. And I mean, and who doesn't listen, love listening to all those accents? Oh my Mm. God. Love it. Thank you, Vicki. Welcome to Couch Potatoes Unite. Because she's also a brand new panelist because it's a mother-daughter thing, apparently. (laughs) <laughs> well, that is so appropriate for this show. It is appropriate for this show. 
Hey, I'm going to talk now. Because I'm Hi, Kylie. Hi! Hi, Krista! Hi! Thanks for welcoming me on the panel for <laughs> Potatoes Unite. I started watching Call the Midwife because there were people who requested it as a Couch Potatoes Unite panel. Netflix wasn't pushing this one on me. I don't know. Oh. Not. <laughs> I do enjoy British shows and period dramas and every combination thereof, but it, they weren't talking to me about Call the Midwife. But Sarah and Krista were particularly energetic about Call the Midwife, and <laughs> through their various means and ways, these other three lovely ladies joined us, and so now we're here talking about Call the Midwife. I'm probably, I, I hear a lot of love, and I'm not trying to be the poo-pooer, so remember the grades are still good. I'm giving it a four out of five nuns. I like it. I like it a lot. I don't know if I love it yet, but that doesn't say that I can't build toward that. I have only watched the first two seasons, so please try okay. not to spoil what comes after season two. <laughs> and maybe I will love it more later on. And right now, I would classify myself as a Jenny, because I think it's a whole new world to me. And though I've been not trained as a midwife, I've certainly been trained as a TV <laughs> watcher, I'm unsure if I can always stomach it. There is a lot of, you know, situations in the call the midwife because of the midwifery. So, that's how I feel. But I still like it, and I'm excited to talk about this show with all of you fine women. Welcome, Kylie, and I appreciate your honesty and opinions. I try to bring the love. <laughs> to be totally frank, there are two very particular parts in this part of the show that I fast-forward through every single time. It's like, and I actually am just like, it's too gross for me, which says a lot about the time period and kind of how far we've come on a lot of things. So, anyway, I'm Krista, Hi, moderator, Krista. and I'm also an assistant couch potato here at CPU exclamation point. I don't remember how I started watching it. I probably Netflix asked me to or told me to. And then I found out that my grandmother was watching it, so we kind of watched it together. Like, we would call each other on Mondays. Jeez. Then I read the book, and I read the, like, into all three books. And I've been watching it every Sunday night on PBS ever since. So Sunday night is, as Nick, my fiance, calls it, Sad Nun Day. <laughs> the Sad Nun Show. Chris's Sad Nun Show. Which, no spoilers, there's sometimes that's real sad. Definitely for season one and season two, I'm giving it five out of five nuns. They're, they're, it's just so... These first two seasons are so beautiful. And so heartwarming and real even though so the ones that are sad you're like i believe that happened because it, it, nothing is too outrageous and even the outrageousness is very much based in truth i mostly am sister monica joan i there's a little bit of jenny just because there like i said there are parts that like really kind of are too sad which is a privilege to be able to say so yeah that's me welcome to the moderating microphone krista yes it's interesting that i love this show because i don't want children <laughs> which, same which everyone is always points out to me of you don't want children and you th are afraid of pregnancy but yeah i think this show actually solidified that for me honestly really i just rewatched this and just recently had a baby like i have a seven week old baby and 
I was just like, good on them. I'm going to get my epidural and enjoy my modern Western medicine. <laughs> but I didn't really think about it too much. I mean, it made me glad I wasn't giving birth in 1950 in the West End, although they had very lovely midwives. But yeah, I some of the stuff they don't do anymore, guys. Like, yeah. The enema. Oh, don't, you, you don't have the soap, a hot water soap enema. They don't with do like that glass anymore. Enema yeah. thingamajig. Nope. They nope. The don't, they don't do that. That's <laughs> a cute for me. Yeah. So don't let high that. And hot you, and but... a, high and hot and a hell of a lot. Yeah. Stuck with me. So let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. Jenny arrives at the west. West. Oh boy. Jenny arrives on the East End in Poplar and joins Nanata's house, where we meet everybody. Sister Evangelina, Sister Bernadette, Sister Monica Jones, Sister Julianne, Fred, Trixie, Cynthia, Dr. Turner, everybody, Timothy. I really enjoyed, personally, that we met everybody in that first episode. Except for Chummy. Chum- and Chummy came the very beginning of episode two. Yeah. And she's such a wonderful actress. I love her so much. So, having everybody there from the start, it wasn't a slow trickle. It was like, here are our friends, and here's the people you, you need to know about. Now, remind me, was episode one with the one where, with the sh- flu and the soot and the baby? Yeah. Yes. Mm. What, did, what, what did we think about meeting everybody? I, th- I think it was very, watching Jenny meet Sister Monica Joan first really kind of set the tone of how life works at Nanata's house because a lot of times Sister Monica Joan is one of the only people that's like constantly there Mm -hmm. and she is so I don't want to say moody but one day she's very coherent and helpful and on the level and then another day she's lost in her fantasies or she's playing a prank and making Jenny eat all this cake or whatever (laughs) and so it kind of like set the tone of Jenny being really thrown off like she didn't know she was coming to a convent she didn't she doesn't know what to expect. She just became a midwife, and she's really uncertain. And I think that that was a really nice, like, start to everything. I think it put us kind of in, in her shoes in that we're meeting all these people, and it's kind of overwhelming, and it was overwhelming to her. So hmm. I, I thought that was an interesting way to kind of juxtapose all of us with her. And I One love thing- that cake is a theme throughout everything. We always want cake and as much as we possibly can get of it. And it just makes me think of the deprivations that they had during the war. Mm-hmm. There was no mm-hmm. sugar, yeah. And you lived there, Allison. They say pudding, but that just means dessert, right? Dessert, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just any, <laughs> any kind of dessert. Pudding. That took me a while because I'm like, why are they always eating pudding? Like, <laughs> What's happening? Sometimes, especially in, like, the, I, I don't want to say lower class, but, like, in those kind of homes that they be in in Poplar, when they say tea, they actually mean dinner. That's, like, the, the big deal of the day is tea. But it could also mean just, I'm going to have a cup of tea. So, it can be a little confusing. Tea time, yeah, does seem to be dinner, because they say luncheon for lunch. Yeah. Yeah. So... I'll- say one thing I thought was interesting reading the books after watching the series was reading the descriptions that she said of the other characters for example I've never the phrase she used to describe Trixie was she said she had a waspish tongue and I thought that was funny because I mean Trixie's a little bit sassy you see that in the first season but 
I always thought that she was just kind of sweet and fun as well. The big thing she talked about with Cynthia was that she had such a sexy, gravelly voice. And I, I mean, that wasn't, I mean, the girl who plays her in the series certainly has a deeper, it's an interesting voice, but it wasn't really like a plot line. So that was kind of interesting. I believe, because Jennifer... Jennifer Worth? No, not Jennifer Worth, but the woman who adapted it, whose name just jumped out of my brain. I will look it up in a second. She was a playwright, so I believe it's definitely an adaptation. Oh, okay. Um, but the stories, as the, anyone who's read the book, it's verbatim, especially these first two seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was surprising to me, because I, like Gina, I read the book after, and I was like, yeah. oh, this happened in that episode. Oh, I remember that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so this is a good book. It was very interesting, though, to get some of the more details on some of the stories I thought was very interesting. And I was interested, especially to see parts they left out that were like particularly heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I believe about Mary. Who Mary, was that was a, that's a big... talk about next. Yeah. So hard. I can still hear Mary's voice in my head saying Catherine. Kathleen. Mm-hmm. Kathleen. Kathleen. Ugh. Kathleen. So for those who are not familiar with episode two of season one, Jenny befriends a teenage runaway named Mary, who is Irish and has begun entering sex work in order to survive and finds herself pregnant and her baby is taken away as soon as she has it. And I think what was so hard about that is she didn't really know that was what was going to happen. Like, I think she thought that she was going to this house and they were going to help her. And I think Jenny thought that too. Like, that's really what it seemed like. And then it just was so heartbreaking. I I cannot imagine being, I mean, I can't imagine it as a mother now, but I am like an adult woman with a fully formed personality. This this girl, Mary, she was like 13 or 14, right? Like she was super young. She was super young. I just, I can't even imagine it. It's just. It was very well written in the book, and it was very well acted, I thought, in the episode. Just heartbreaking. I'm going to take it there, because I know we're going to get there eventually. But this episode was heartbreaking when she talked about trying to hide her pregnancy, because she didn't want the forced abortion with, obviously, not an actual medical practitioner and she talked about somebody. Did they? I can't remember if the person died. It was another girl there. If they had died, or they just... Like, she witnessed, like, the trauma their body went through. That was, I mean, that was something that really stuck with me, certainly. Definitely later on, we do find out exactly how that's done. And, and it's awful. But It's awful. It, the, I think I was just horrified there that I, I just, the idea that, I don't know, all of it was horrifying to me. And then later on, we meet Mary again when yes. she steals the baby. Which, if I remember correctly from the book, they said it was, she, she had seen her on TV or something years later, but it wasn't actually, like, a situation that happened immediately, I thought. I don't recall in the book, I'm afraid. Okay. But I believe in the, I believe that the Jenny and the fellow nuns had it so that she wouldn't be prosecuted, since she did take care of the baby, so. In the TV show, that's what happened, yeah. They were able yeah. to get the charges if you will, dropped because she wasn't in her right faculty at the time and the baby had no no harm came to the baby. And then they also said because that family had lost their first baby that they knew what it felt like and that's really what brought the mother around to not pressing the charges. Yeah. But one of the things that stood out to me was I'm a social worker and so listening to how 
dispassionate and matter of fact, like sister. Oh, now I'm. Oh, Evangelina. Not Evangelian. Yeah, and the the priests. They were just like yes, life. And Jenny was aghast and thinking that was only sixty years ago. 70 years ago and how much has changed and how we view things. I think, you know, when you think about it as a historical drama, it, I wish it could be in, in like high school. First of all, I think it'd be great birth control, but I think <laughs> showing the changes would be, would be very powerful, but that's what really hit me watching it again, knowing that we were going to do the podcast and then especially watching two and then four and seeing how they planted. They're very masterful at planting things that come to fruition later in the season, two seasons, five seasons, you know, and, and that, that takes a well thought out master plan that who I cannot remember her name. Either. Heidi Thomas, um, Heidi, Heidi Thomas. Thomas has. So who is in real life married to Stephen Dr. McGann, Turner. who is Dr. Turner. <laughs> really? How interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> That's yeah. fun. I love when that kind of trivia comes out. <laughs> I will say, Vicky, and maybe because I work in social services as well, but just what you had, what you said about like the doctor's attitude and the mother's attitude towards her—that was something I thought was interesting too, because it didn't feel like there was any like attempt to rehabilitate her. It was just kind of like, well, she's mm-hmm. had the baby; she's clearly not fit to raise her. We'll take the baby, and she's back out on the streets. And I guess I shouldn't have been shocked by that, but I. <laughs> That is something that is continuously brought up throughout the season. Every time Jenny has to go to the London and every time anybody that personally isn't hospitalized, there's just this group of men, roving men, who just stare at you and write down your details and like look at every part of you and there's no care and there's no modesty, mm-hmm. which is something that I'm eternally grateful Silva, if, if that happened. I, I, from a modern lens, I don't understand. It, it kind of brings me to think of the, the episode with the medical rape, the woman who had been medically raped. And I know mm. we'll talk about, was that, was that in the first two seasons? Doesn't what? sound familiar, <laughs> Gina. <laughs> All right, never mind then. Spoilers. <laughs> but I it was forget. making me think about the episodes with where the characters had been in the workhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which they have a lot. Yeah, there is. There's the, yeah, there's Mrs. Jenkins, right? And then there's also the brother and sister, sister who right. are in a relationship together. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I had to research workhouses because mm. it's just like, I did not know much about it. It's terrible. It is terrible. I mean, it's terrible. And I know this sounds strange, but like, I guess when I picture like this time period in London, I just picture the musical Oliver and that is not like... <laughs> This is because of my theater background. Many of us on here have a theater background. So, like, I'm like, oh, there were lots of orphanages, but I didn't know that there was, like, workhouses where adults were there and, like, the brutal conditions and, like... And they were stuck. Yeah, that once you went in, you were stuck. Yeah, it's... And that was better than the reality, right? They created the workhouses in the time of Oliver because the reality was even worse. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the scary part. But that they I never knew that they went on that long. Mm-hmm. I mean she, Yeah, that was shocking. Mrs. Jenkins got out in nineteen thirty four, which is yeah. like what the middle of the depression. So yeah, let's stop the workhouses. But and that was crazy. That well, yeah. yeah, and just the fact that like your kids aren't with you. You might never you won't see them again. You yeah, you they don't them. keep the family together. I don't I can't comprehend that. Like that's just 
So, but there was a time when children were not valued. Well, right. I mean, but she valued them, but she just didn't have a choice. Society. Yeah, the value on children was different. Was the expectations were different for children back then? I mean, that's they eventually created child labor laws between the two countries because of these situations. Well, and then what Gina said too about the rehabilitation, and you know, it's just like, well, we're just gonna like be done with our was kind of like when they went into the workhouse, you you already messed up your life, so you don't even get your kids around you. We're going to separate them, so maybe we can do something with them. Then they all died anyway. And they let her leave with a sewing machine. Like, here you go. Yeah. You can go make your way now. Yeah. The Mary situation reminded me a lot of the movie Philomena. Did anybody else? Judy Dench? Mm -hmm. I mean, real sad. Real sad. Stunning recommendation. Never. Watch the movie. It's real sad. <laughs> Steve Coogan, Judy, Dame Judy Dench. It's upsetting. <laughs> it went from sad to upsetting. So on a perhaps a lighter note, okay, to to pull us out of out of our misery. One of my most favorite m- moments in season one is when Jimmy is hiding in the closet, <laughs> and Fred fa- and Sister Monica Joan. I, I I thought that was kind of a a nice at least playful elements they're pretty good at interspersing something funny or something fun and light in the midst of all of this tragedy the baby champ and the dancing and the records because they still are young women in london which is still pretty cool and you know chummy and peter yeah when when do we get to talk about which of the midwives is our favorite (laughs) (laughs) is it chummy i'm picking chummy (laughs) I do love Chummy, but I she's not Chummy. my favorite. I'm Who's your s- favorite? I'm guessing I love- Trixie. <laughs> I love Trixie. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. They do so much with her character, and I just, I feel, when I first saw her on screen, I was like, I don't think I'm going to like this girl. But really? I, I, in spite of that, I did. Yeah. She just was too cute. She looked like a cutie doll with her big eyes, and I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to like her. And then she, I just love her as a character now. But Trixie's one of the ones that when you start out, that episode one, you do think that. But then by the end of episode two, especially after they help the the poor young woman on the ship. Yes. Then you just see her. And then, I don't want to spoil it, Kylie, but it gets, she it's there's a lot of character growth in her. There's so many layers to Trixie. She's one of the more amazing characters probably in television that they've allowed her to grow and change and change with the times. Again, you go back to history, she would be a great one to follow, for kids to follow through the whole time to see, you know, mm-hmm. the societal changes and how that really affects her. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I like Trixie's second most, maybe. <laughs> I don't know if it's fair to rate Jenny third, but I think because... And I know this is bridging a little. It's season one, season two. Her long suffering love for Jimmy is kind of weighs me down a little bit. <laughs> so I will. It's not forever. Okay, good. Phew. I did not love that there. I I wanted more backstory on her tragic love affair that led to that. Yes, yeah. me too. Because you get the phone call. Even in the books, they just kind of brush over oh, it. It's like oh, some married man she's in love with. Right. right. That's what. Yeah, they tell you, but that's it. Okay. Like. There's no more. Yeah, I need more of this sort, more of the sordid details because Jimmy seems like a fairly big swing from the married man. Right, he's like the safe boy she grew up with. I mean, but he's a good rebound if she's yeah, a lot different than a married man. He's like unemployed. He's a unemployed person. He he knows he's going to be the rebound, and that's not really what he wants. 
Yeah. He wants to be Jenny's first choice. He knows that's never going to happen. I don't know if he's that smart. <laughs> <laughs> he's just there to be pretty. There's, <laughs> a, lot of, there's a lot of grass is greener between those two. And that's what yeah. between season one and season two, I was just like, mm, <laughs> I don't know where this is going. And I don't know if I'm here for it. I don't I don't believe I think they are the safe choice for each other. And so I hope it doesn't last a long time. That's good to know. <laughs> it also goes back to like the exploitation of women because Jenny says she was seventeen when she she's loved this married man since she was seventeen. Yep. He's obviously a lot older than her. Teacher. So we go back or, to that and how uh, pastor. That's where I have so many questions. Yeah, that just raises the questions, Vicky. Like, how did she meet this exploitative married man? This is the question. I need to know. I think Gina is spot on. <laughs> so it drive it drove me nuts. I was, well, speaking of the cargo ship and Kirsten... That was a really smooth transition. <laughs> <laughs> She's half of the moderator, and I'm here for it. <laughs> hey. <laughs> they can't all be winners. <laughs> it's okay, Krista. No one's judging. It was score. fine. I was just teasing you because it was, you know, late. I was... We were wrapping up. I was trying to prick us to our next point. I, I, it's okay. Which that is? episode did a lot to me. I'll say that. Are we on the ship episode? Isn't that in season two? Yeah. Oh, it's season one, right? I thought did it was I the make, end of season one. Did I make an error? No, probably not. I'm pretty not. sure that if you're talking about Kirsten on the boat, that was season two. I just watched um, Yeah. I'm sorry. But it's cool. So, moving right along. <laughs> moving right along. One thing... But, Let's stick with season one for a hot minute. Okay. One thing I, I did want to discuss was the the cleaner and her brother mm. from the workhouse. I remember feeling very left field. Ew. Yeah. Of, especially because Sister Evangelina was so cool about it, and she's so not cool about mostly everything else. That was a shock. And then just the complete acceptance that the cleaner killed herself. Com yeah. Completed suicide, sorry. I wasn't shocked by Sister Evangelina's reaction so much because I think it's in keeping with she clearly is the, you know, she lauds the good old days more than the other sisters and believes that all the hearts, you know, she's she's the voice of the older generation here because mm -hmm. maybe Sister Monica Joan is too far gone to be that person. And Sister Monica Joan was rich, so she wouldn't have been in the workhouse. Exactly. And I think Sister Evangelina keeps, she has, the you know, the memory of an elephant. She just remembers everything that ever informed, you know, the, the neighborhoods and streets that they serve. And so it, That's true. It, it wasn't surprising to me that she was more understanding of the incestuous setup than maybe you know, Jenny or, or anyone else would be. But the rest of it, yeah. It was it was a very sad episode. It's mm -hmm. kind of a, an interesting juxtaposition to say a Game of Thrones, which granted is fantasy, but sort of that incest took a totally different, you know, direction. So it was kind of interesting to examine it through more of a historical lens and more of a sensitive perspective. I brought the room down. <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot to process with that one. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, 
Oh, no. Well, I think you bring up a good point with Sister Evangelina in that, you know, coming from such an impoverished background and such a large family and really whatever scrap of tenderness and love you can get is what you're going to go for. And so that, I think she could totally see that happening. And then with the suicide, again, I think it goes back to even though she can be a battle axe, She's a very compassionate, loving person, and she personifies. I mean, when you when you look at her, she does personify what it means to be a nun and, and a religious person, and they all do. But you know, she is battle axe, and always on Sister Monica Jones' case. I don't know why. You will not give her any peace. But I think that you know, it also goes to what Allison was saying about female friendship, and sometimes the nuns, especially the older nuns. But they're those role models, right? And and it is totally a teaching relationship, even though they're all qualified midwives and they all have their own strengths and their own life experiences. I think that that episode is is really cool that way. And it also shows the the risks that, you know, British television can take that we don't take over here. You are spot on, bang on sometimes. I think that I, I was thinking that a lot as I was watching it because they, they are showing as much of a birth as they can and this airs on PBS here. So I was just, I, I assume it's uncensored and the way we watch it on Netflix, does it, Krista, you are a PBS catcher. Is it as, as... It's the same. Okay. It's the same. I will edit for time because PBS will have those like, not really commercials, but those little bits at the beginning and end. Hi, I'm your Lenny, and you're watching they PBS. don't have commercials. Right. And this is brought um, to you by viewers like you or something like that. And the I can say that the Norwegian cruises. I follow a YouTube channel who's an OBGYN and she reacts to different things. And she's watched this show and she finds it to be very accurate. She thinks it's like probably the best at portraying births of any show that she's covered. I mean, she wow. hasn't watched all the episodes. She watched, I don't want to give anything away. I got to make sure we're... I know, uh, I keep thinking that. Oh, it's in season two. It's in season cool. two. So she she watched Chummy's birth. That's and then there was another one that Ooh. she watched at some point. So, and she, she was like, yeah, this is extremely accurate. She did say the thing where like, that baby is probably not a newborn, but it's... <laughs> But you can't really get a brand new newborn. Like, I'm not giving you my newborn to be in your show. Like, that's too hard. So that was her only thing. But the rest of it, she was like, for the time period, it's pretty accurate. One of the that's one one of the things I love about this show is all the issues that they tackle for the time period. Mm-hmm. It's not just about pregnancy yeah. because you know we see TB later on. We start to see a lot about the vaccinations, all sorts of different medical and just societal issues which i think are fascinating because it's more about family it's about it is it's i mean yeah yeah, babies but and also they're they're general nurses too they are which sometimes i forget and then i love that man that she takes care of whose bandages she changes i can't think of his name oh it's joe Joe. oh i love joe so much that was one of the saddest episodes to me yeah that one was a really good one. But it, it was ended really okay. Good. It ended not terrible. No, mm. but I just... He died. <laughs> no, he did. Died. I don't think he died. I think he, he, was, they he, said he eventually died. She went back to change his bandages again at that place where they weren't really taking care of him. And 
he had died. Yeah, he, he died after him. after losing because Both they went septic. And it's yeah. it's interesting to see because at this point, 1957, the National Health Service has been in place for I want to say about 10 years, and it's done so many amazing things. But you can still see they're kind of still working the kinks out a little bit because they're like, okay, provide all this care, and they haven't quite worked out yet. And yes. unfortunately, Joe was one that paid the price. Well, as we wrap, well, and then the fact that okay, we're just, we're we're just gonna condemn this, and and my favorite is Fred at the beginning, like shoveling the rubble from the war. It's twelve years after the end of World War II, and there's rubble everywhere. Oh, Isn't and that amazing? Still, like yeah. condemning stuff, and then okay, you have to just go find. We might be able to rehome you, but they didn't. I mean, they shoved him in some old folks' home. So that to me is shocking. I never knew that. I never thought that there would be rubble for decades right it would just come in and condemn something i mean it's it shows me that i don't have the best grasp of like britain's history i mean because obviously i know a lot about world war ii and what a war-torn area it was i mean the bombings and stuff but i'm naive i didn't know that that they were still dealing with that aftermath you know, for years to come. And I just read something. This is a little off topic, but stay with me. I'll get there. Haley Mills, the actress, has a new book coming out. And I read that the British government taxed her income 91%. So she went to, years later when she came of age and she went to access her money, she was supposed to have like, it would have been like $17 million today. And she barely had anything because they had taxed it so highly so they could rebuild from World War II. Wow. And that was like in the 60s and stuff still that she was working. That's and that just together. blew my mind. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So clearly they had like a lot of infrastructure that they were fixing up and cleaning up. And it's just mind-blowing because the land war didn't really get to America, you know? I mean, we had Pearl Harbor, but otherwise... They, we didn't have that particular aspect. So it's really fascinating to kind of go back and see and watch it. And I'm getting educated, guys. All right. Well, as we wrap up season one, Sister Monica Joan is put on trial and Chummy gets married. Is there anything else we want to talk about from season one before we move on to season two? Awfulness that is Chummy's mom. Oh, Chummy's mom. Oh, the worst. She is the worst. Ugh. We also didn't talk about Sister Julianne really very much, but I really enjoy her a lot. Yeah, of course. She's wonderful. And I'm very excited to get into Sister Bernadette. I'm just ready. Mm -hmm. I am as well. I do. I know we get a lot of kind of explanation around Chummy's mom. And I've watched season two and not beyond, of course. Does she come back? Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah. Well, I hope there's more. But just for one or two episodes, and it's actually a really, it provides some closure. Okay, fair enough. It's some catharsis. I don't know about closure. But you know what's great is Chummy, like, doesn't let it break her spirit in the end. She doesn't, no. I love Chummy. She doesn't let anything go. And Peter is such a good support for her, being her. Because he loves her just the way she is. That's the dream. Oh, you didn't get that far yet. Sorry, I don't want to, like, jump ahead. I was gonna say, the girdle, the girdle. Oh, <laughs> during the pregnancy, I was just watching that one the other day. I think we're Good ready riddance. to go to season two. <laughs> I think we're ready to go to season two. Let us begin. All right, Mrs. Jenkins. 
Oh, Mrs. Jenkins. It's just heartbreaking. We touched on it already a little. It's we just did. heartbreaking. I, and Mrs. Jenkins, and that's also the same episode where the young girl gives birth in the warehouse place and leaves the baby on the steps of the convent. Baby Raymond. This is the little girl that, that she wasn't. She delivered the baby herself, correct? Yeah. Like, she was asking them about pamphlets and then she, like, has a baby. Yeah, she did it, and that blows my mind. This oh. child got up in the middle of the night, went and delivered her baby in a warehouse, and came home. And her dad had been giving her pocket money because she was such a such good a girl good. and so yeah. helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was heartbreaking, but in the end, that one was resolved nicely, but... They well, aren't all resolved nicely, but I was yeah. very one glad was, yeah. this one was, because that... We well, didn't see another baby get taken away from the mom. Well, and that was another heartbreaking one where she didn't know what would happen if she had, like, she didn't have education. She didn't, you know. No. Yeah. Yeah, this was, that was the Christmas episode. That was the other it part was of the it. Christmas episode, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, because she was playing the head angel or something. Oh, she was. In the play or whatever, and then she fainted. Is that? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Guys, again, I don't mean to say, oh, I just gave birth, but I did. And I <laughs> cannot imagine, well, who Vicky has children, too. Vicky, can you imagine giving birth in a warehouse by yourself, like, as a teenager? I was so high maintenance. Like, there's no way. I couldn't have done it, guys. That was the saddest scene, too. Yeah. Just the strength she must have had. How scared she must and desperate she must have been to, like, get get to that point. I just, I cannot imagine. And she clearly loved the baby so much. Mm. And, but she just didn't want her parents to be disappointed. And then the the beauty of the, the cinematography of that scene, because you have, it's cutting between Lynette in the warehouse, and then I think the nuns are at chapel, and you've got, you know, Sister Bernadette singing. with her angelic voice. She literally has the voice of an angel. It's like holy grail of Christmas specials for this show. And there's been a lot of good ones. It's not my favorite Christmas special, but it's up there. I would agree, but it, yeah, it's up there. So then that brings us finally to the ship. I made a transition that makes sense now. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, Kylie the ship. Calls me the, Kylie calls me the queen of non sequiturs for a reason. <laughs> With love and affection. Love and affection. Uh-huh. I've gotten a lot better. So, this is also the episode with Molly Brignall. It's Jenny's birthday, and she goes and visits a woman who's in an abusive relationship, and she's pregnant. And her flat is filthy, and her husband is screaming. And won't let her mom come in. That's so heartbreaking. Yeah, this and, this was a really good... This might be one of my favorites of the season, and it was the, technically the first one, just mm-hmm. because of the... You almost expect the ship to be kind of a you know not a great place for one woman and and you know she's obviously providing services at the behest of her captain father and whatever but they are taking care of her in the end while on the same token you get the on land situation in this flat where the man rules the roost if you will and it's it's completely in utter disarray and she's in danger and their children are in danger and that is an interesting juxtaposition i hadn't considered that that like her husband who should be the one caring for her and everything is where she's in danger whereas the other woman who's on this ship like yes men are buying sex but like you said they're kind of looking out for her it's she doesn't seem i think kirsten is her name yeah kirsten Kirsten doesn't seem 
at the beginning to really realize that anything's unusual about what she's doing. No, no. She, she says, my dad says that the sailors stay happy as long as there's a woman on the ship. So she's basically a sex worker. I don't think they pay her. I think that's just her job. She's uh. room and board, and the men visit her to keep themselves happy at sea. But she doesn't seem to think anything's weird about it at first. But I love how at the end... She's like, uh-uh. Like, Trixie and Sister Evangelina kind of set her straight. And they are the absolute best two people to have them deliver yeah. that baby. They were great. They do not get along as a rule. Right. At least up until that point, that was a definite turning point in their relationship. Because, mm-hmm. you know, because Sister Evangelina was giving her so much crap. You know, oh, the little princess, you know, on the, on the ladder. And then when Sister Evangelina got hurt... And Trixie had to take over. There was, I really enjoyed that kind yeah. of clip. Yeah, and just to be clear, no, they weren't buying her her services, if you will. They were keeping her comfortable, though. They were giving her finery and gifts and, you know, making sure she had pretty things so that she was happy so that she, in turn, would continue to provide the services. It was just a, yeah. a cycle of, yeah, that woman on the ship situation. And her dad was the captain. That's the weird thing. That was so messed up. Like, that's... And I wonder if it was supposed to... I know a lot of it was used for humor to kind of offset the Molly Brignall situation, but it really wasn't funny in retrospect. Oh, no. I think the comedy was really the Trixie Evangelina rapport. Yeah. That's it. I mean, I didn't laugh at it, really. And I didn't even think it was light. (laughs) I just thought... (laughs) <laughs> and the, the the fact that Sister Evangelina seems to think the ship is German, so she has a grudge against Germany still, yeah. even though they're Swedish, and so she's like, no scrap in Swedish either, shuts them the door, like yeah. that's where the humor came from. When she has the baby and the men are all standing around so concerned, and then they're just like, in wonder. And they sing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was, because kind of the whole movie time i was kind of sitting there like oh these terrible disgusting because obviously they have no idea who the father is right yeah so it could be any of theirs so it's kind of all of theirs in exactly exactly and that part so kind a- of made me like huh. okay are they all yeah like i kind, it's kind of touching but also yeah. like <laughs> kind of gross yeah so like so many that, things on this show the thing about the molly brignall storyline that was so sad to me and frustrating is that she had a way out. She could have gone to stay with her mother. Her mother wanted her there. She so very easily had a different place to be that was safe. But yet she was so abused and manipulated and gaslighted by this man mm-hmm. that she couldn't see it. And then, then at the end, she wasn't she arrested for sex work? Correct. After she, yeah, after she left. And there was a yeah. fire situation. I was just going to say, this was the yeah. one with the fire where the children and yeah. there was locking they, inside. And, yeah. They were being drugged. So that yeah. they wouldn't cry and alert the neighbors when she would leave them for hours and hours. But she was, they were actually arrested because of that and charged and found guilty of neglect. So she never was charged for like prostitution or anything like that. And I thought that was an interesting way to end it instead of like rescuing her. I thought that was, again, very true to the period and not what we're used to seeing. And very yeah. true to abusive relationships. Most women don't leave the first time. Yeah. I mean, or the second or the third. And I think the priest was talking when, in, in the episode with Mary, he said they're, they're so, they don't 
see it as abuse. Like he he mentions it in the context of Mary being swept up as prostitution, but it's, you can see it with Molly as well. And okay. not to spoil, but there are some other episodes that deal with domestic abuse in future seasons that take it a bit differently, including dealing with how divorce worked back then and mm-hmm. the rights that a divorcing woman would have. So it's, it's interesting to see in this episode the seeds that are going to kind of be planted later on. Yeah, again, like to look at it through a modern lens, it, it feels so much like a snapshot in time of what the different mindsets were for me you know just the attitudes around that stuff and I don't know just so so much misery that you see I do like that the grandma got the kids in the end yes Mm -hmm. chummy and Peter go to Africa and Jenny goes and hangs up to London. So the kind of middle of this season, we have a lot of kind of, um, they almost feel like filler to me personally. Or we have a lot of like little poof, poof, poof. Jenny's at the London. And then Jane has this date with Reverend Thornton Appleby. But then, and then we get to Sister Bernadette and Dr. Turner. So Can I talk Gina to- doesn't look happy. No, I'm smiling because I like them. Oh, okay. I thought, like, you don't ship them? Like, every. No, no, of course I ship them. What am I, a monster? Vicky, were you going to say something? I was going to say before we talk about the loveliness that is Sheila and Dr. Turner, and I, again, I don't want to spoil anything, but I think it's with the storyline with Cynthia losing that baby, to me, that sets her down on a path that if you go back and rewatch, you're like, Oh, and it's almost the same with Sister Monica Joan. Yeah. Sister Monica Joan keeps coming in and out of dementia, which I know happens, but it's like it to me, this is the one part of the whole series that doesn't seem to have a point, except Sister Monica Joan goes in and out and we don't know what she's going to be like episode to episode. So that's my one tiny little thing. But I think this thing with Cynthia losing the, that baby, that is huge, huge. And you have no idea how huge it is. You kind of see it, I mean, a little bit later in the season, but it's that is like the whole turning point for that character. You, you can't know it until you look back three or four seasons. Agreed. So, Sister Bernadette has TV. Discuss. That's no kind of segue. <laughs> I'm trying to be, be, be quick due to the vibrained noise situation. <laughs> Sister Bernadette as TV. So here's my question, because I, I'll confess that I watched season one earlier in the spring, because what I typically do when I decide whether or not I'm going to moderate a panel is kind of watch the first season, see how I feel about the show, Consider there are panelists that asked to moderate, so that kind of happened. And so as I was thinking through season one of Call the Midwife, did they, do I just forget that they seated Dr. Turner and Sister Bernadette earlier? Did I miss that? Or, because to me, it felt a little like, where did this come from? Oh, I always felt the chemistry, which there I was, was a, yeah. There was always a little, like, let me help you, doctor. They just really got along. <laughs> like, she was sewing buttons back on his coat for him and, like, checking on Timothy and doing different things. I guess I don't. And you also get, but before the romance really starts to take root, you also have that beautiful scene when the girls are going to the dance and she looks in the mirror and she takes off her 
her habit and she lets down her hair and that's the first time you realize, oh, she's not all in on this life. She's wondering what would happen if she'd taken that other path. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I remember that, Allison. I I had always kind of picked up on the idea that maybe Bernadette wasn't quite the... I don't even know if she's full habit or postulant at this point, but just wasn't quite all the way in. But I guess... I, I guess I didn't pick up on the chemistry, at least earlier. Now, in this season, of course, they turn up the volume quite a bit, and it's unmistakable. But in the, in the first season, I just thought to myself, okay, well, maybe they just are, I don't know. May, maybe it was, and maybe I was just being naive, or like, they're a nun in a, <laughs> a position. This is just whatever I don't know but I, I I didn't I did not remember that so then when I was watching season two which happened very recently I I, I was a little taken by surprise although swept up swept up in the whole thing yeah I very much like I love it when after right I love it that one little moment after the the one twin gives birth and it's been a horrible birth and it turns out to be twins and they're slapping and fighting and stuff and they share a cigarette and then she just rides off to me, that's mm-hmm. like that. That says it all. That to me was like that turning point, and I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry, it's hard to tell what the green things around the oh, square. I was just saying that I, I, I really like Bernadette slash Sheila. I think that she is a, such an interesting character, and yeah, I, I was thrilled because when I remember feeling like there was some chemistry, and I was like, ah, but they're real. They're never gonna hook up. They're never gonna make it happen on the show. And then honestly, the TV was kind of <laughs> worked in their favor. Correct me if I'm wrong. If this is next season. But when Timothy and Dr. Turner go to get her and Timothy yells, it's the woman in the wrong clothes. Truly, I remember that. It's like... It's the season finale. Yeah, it's the season finale. I'll ship it real hard. And Timothy being all in on it... So cute. ...was so important. Yeah. And because Timothy, after, you know, his ex-wife... Or his widow... Mother? His old wife died. I know that (laughs) the, the, the sadness of Dr. Turner was kind of like a focus in season one and how he was kind of you know he he needed someone to help him he she had been gone a while though hadn't she i believe he maybe had a year. childbirth or no we don't a year okay really i thought it was yeah gone. in in the first christmas special he has a line about how it's going to be the first christmas without timothy's mother oh, oh okay. so by the time that patrick and sheila get married i think it's been about two years but I mean, okay. Timothy was old enough to know her and have memories. Yeah, yeah. That does bring us back to something we discussed briefly earlier, which is the abortion. Awful, uh, awful, awful. This episode is one of those that I have I have seen a ton of times, and it has really struck with me. that The love between that couple and how much he didn't want her to do it mm. was something that had always stuck with me and i was so pleased that in this instance she did not die yeah because so many of these instances probably ended like that and one thing about this show is i suspect more babies died and more women died than on an average percentage we see absolutely probably because it doesn't make for good television Mm -hmm. but i'm also okay with that from a Well, this was the episode where she already had, like, seven kids, right? Yes. And it was like, I don't, she just didn't want any more children. She didn't want to be pregnant. She didn't want to give birth. She didn't feel they could support the baby. 
Correct. And they had asked for a bigger flat and were waiting for one. So there was a lot going on. She had tried to get, like, she tried to use herbs or something to miscarry. Herbs and a hot bath and... And she could, I, nothing worked, so nothing she worked. finally went to a back alley abortionist. A lady who came and put her on the table. But at, that, at that time, though, like, there wasn't even birth control that she could get access to. Mm-mm. It's a lot. I mean, it's a hard one to to watch, I think. I don't know. Definitely. I, I don't want to get too political either, but it, the timeliness of watching that episode and this season around right now when abortion stuff is at the forefront of the news was not lost mm. on me and I was kind of haunted by that one for a while. And again, I think it speaks to their ability to really hone in on those social issues. And I mean, I don't think they, they do it politically. They're just doing it factually. This is what happened. I, yeah. And, you know, we probably she should have died, but because it's TV, we're not going to make everybody die. But the I think we as modern women, it, we can't even fathom what that must have been like. I can't even go there. The lack of control over all parts of your life. And it's not like... I mean, it's not like getting pregnant was, it just happened. That was just a part of life. It wasn't like it was a political thing or a violent thing or anything in this situation. They were married and they got pregnant all the time. And it's, it just, we can't, I I really think we can't even fathom that now. True. And, And to not have the ability to better their situation because she was always pregnant, nursing, and taking care of children. And there weren't jobs for her anyway. I mean, there just yeah. wasn't an option to even, even if she wanted that pregnancy or the ones before, she couldn't, like, support them, you know? It's got to feel so frustrating to not have a voice or a choice or, you know, anything. This is not the first time abortion comes up in this show. And I, I do feel like... While they are not being political necessarily, they do want to touch on a number of issues that are related to childbirth and the choice. Because as this time progresses, all that's all that is you have choice. You have more agency, mm-hmm. and I think the show does a really good job of at least in these first two seasons. Like this is our base level, mm-hmm. and, and we can only you know improve from here. One of the scarier births we see is Chummy, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Chummy (laughs) was in labor, right? And then she had a placental abruption, which is where your placenta tears itself free from your uterine wall so that the baby isn't being supported anymore by your respiratory system. And also, you have a big bleeding wound essentially inside so it's it's risky to the mom and the baby and I cannot even imagine how scary that would be but also how scary that would be to be watching your friend go through that and you know the realities of it and yet you have to stay calm you know and And not at a hospital right well they called for the flying squad right but remind me like wasn't it Trixie who was like the calmest I feel like it was. Yes. She was yeah. very to the oh. point and was bossing everybody around and telling them what to do, even more so <laughs> than Evangelina. Yeah. But Trixie's very good at, you know... A crisis. 
she is. She's got a cool head under pressure, which we find out in that ship episode. Yeah. So, and in many ways, she's underestimated, and that's when you kind of see what her metal is. So, yeah. I think one of the things that that episode in particular really pointed out to me that still really rings true today is just the randomness. Like, here we have a nurse. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she was in Africa, but I'm sure she took as good a care of herself as she possibly could have. And this happened. And we have other people who, you know, it's it's almost like, and I'm sure it's not the luck of the draw, it's more scientific, but, you know, some people have complications and some people don't. Or how Dolly, Fred's daughter, had eclampsia with the second, yeah. and usually you don't have that, that's with the first. And it's mm-hmm. like, you never know. Even now, 50% of pregnancies and labors have some sort of complication. And so it's, it really is, it's, it's a miracle that any of us are alive. I really think that. I mean, it's just like yeah. so many and things could go wrong. Dolly had eclampsia and was totally fine. And then that woman in season one had eclampsia yeah. and died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a non sequitur and I'm sorry. But we have not talked about the lady that comes in who is super shy that grew up. Jane. Jane. Jane, right. We've not talked about Jane. And also, one of my favorite moments of the season is when Chummy returns and she's brought all these lovely gifts from Africa and she's even brought a gift for Jane. Yeah. Of course she did. She knows what it's like to be the awkward person and like... It was heartwarming and nice. That's all I want to say. And then Jane and the Reverend... Reverend... Yeah. Reverend Appleby Thornton. Yes, him! Unexpected and also heartwarming. Jane had such a tragic backstory Mm -hmm. about... I don't know. I can't remember how much of this they showed in the show, but that she was kind of a confident little girl and then because of what she endured in the workhouse she kind of was I don't even know how to say it but it she seemed to have some cognitive issues almost well I think trauma yeah I think what yeah she she explains it she actually gives a whole rundown to it of it to Jenny as they're walking through that home when they're trying to consider what to do with the baby who's born with spina bifida right Mm -hmm. And so she kind of talks about that, but yeah, it's it's the trauma that sort of forces this... I don't even think she has really cognitive impairments. It's more of a social anxiety. They just don't yeah. call it that. But yeah, she explains it. And I, I really enjoy that character, because at first I thought, what? Why is Chummy going on a mission? I am opposed. Like, where is yeah, she going? Chummy's great. She's my favorite. And then they bring in Jane, and I think, well, okay, I mean, she's no chummy, but fine. And then I come to love Jane quite a bit because of all the stuff that you learn about her and how being in the Nanata's house and everything opens her up in such a way. You know, she's never going to be fully opened up, if you will, but she relates to all of the girls very differently. She finds relationships with each and every one of the nuns, and then she also finds a little bit of subtle romance, too. So I I just, yeah. I felt we had to hit on Jane specifically because we haven't, and also I just really loved when they all got the scarves and she gave her the scarf, too. (laughs) That was sweet. I think it kind of goes back to what Allison was saying about the female relationships, it gave her such a chance to like really have those relationships in a safe place. And it, you're right. It, it like opened her up and she was able to, you know, develop her personality more and have confidence. I don't know. It was, it was cool. I like that character. I don't want to ruin anything. We don't, she doesn't stay around for that many seasons, but okay. she, yeah, she's great. And that actress, I really enjoy her. Yeah, she is great. 
So wrapping up season two, Chummy has baby Fred and Dr. Turner and Sheila get engaged and Jenny meets Alec. Hey. Oh, oh yeah, we haven't talked about Alec, who is very handsome. He's so cute. He is very handsome, yes. His little curly hair flip I was into. And he seems like a gentleman so far. We've only met him for the one episode and he So far. <laughs> Oh no, there's facial expressions. Sarah, stop teasing me. I have no face. No expression. I like Alec. We all like Alec. Everybody likes Alec. That's. Uh, There's an elephant here somewhere, and I'm just going to keep watching. (laughs) You better keep watching, Kylie. I mean, you you know just by looking at the book cover that her married name is Jennifer Worth. So, have we met a guy whose last name is Worth? I don't know. You tell me. Whose last name is Worth again? (laughs) <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you. It's crap. <laughs> All right, I'll have to stay tuned. Yeah, stay, stay tuned. tuned. Right. You'll keep listening. I love too in that episode when it's just like, oh, we're gonna tear Nanada's house down, even though it was it's like a national treasure because we're gonna yeah. keep road there. Yeah. But we're not gonna tell anybody. Yeah, what was that about? How can they put it, a road there? There seems to be surrounded by a lot of, in, you know, buildings. You don't got to worry about that for that, a while. Yeah. It's like you you kind of see it as we go through the, the series because I think now, like, season, what are we, 9 or 10? We're up to, like, 1964 or something. And it gets more modern, the architecture, as it goes on. So you have to think, well, it's London. It's always changing. It's always growing. And in order to and put those modern buildings in, like, like the one that Jimmy's building are working for, that company that's building something's got to go. This is mild spoilers for the Christmas special, the season two Christmas special. But, like, something happens that causes the demolition to be slightly expedited. And it does have to do with the, the, the lingering rubble and issues of the fact that, you know, there was a massive sound. Well, and they, they, they kind of allude to that, I think, at other points during the season. Like, there's, there's leaks, there's things that don't work. Poor Fred is always running around trying to fix things. And, and I, I think there, there's a line about mushrooms growing in the chapel or something like that. I don't remember what season it is. But again, it, it shows that, you know, instead of trying to save like a historical thing like Nanata's house, they're just going to knock it down. And that seems to be a theme throughout, like, that yeah. time period until it's not. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, we've knocked down all these things. Why did we do that? <laughs> there's, there's, everything is historical there. Like, there's, they don't have the same concept of what makes a building old as we do. My favorite pub in Cambridge that we would go to was like established like 1682 or something. And it's just like a blip to them. That's very true. I, I was in London in 2002 and London is so like old and new at the same time. It's it's a crazy but wonderful city that way. and. But I like watching this mid-century depiction. Where do they film it? Do we have any information? They they film it in London, and then I think I think most of the interior shots are like at a studio outside the city. That's kind of how they work. Like that's how Harry Potter was done as well. It's like London suburb. But I I follow Laura Main on Twitter, who plays Sheila, Sister Bernadette. And she, she's very prolific in posting, like, oh, we're doing these exterior shots today, we're doing this, we're doing that. She, her behind-the-scenes photos are really, really fun. There are certain yeah. exterior shots, like the stairs at the at Nanata's house. That's, like, on a lot. Ooh, 
but when you know when she's riding her bike through yeah that's actually London I had this thought the other day I'm like I wonder if that was in like the audition notice for these roles like must be able to ride a bicycle yeah. other than Chummy of course other than Chummy <laughs> Chummy had some issues with the bike all right do we have any anything else we want to say about season one and season two do you want to talk about like costumes and fashion for a moment or yes by all means <laughs> i think that the costumes are some of the most fun things because you've got each character definitely has their own sense of style you've got trixie is like the fashion maven and she's the one who's always like got the latest trend and then jenny's a little bit more reserved but still fun and then Cynthia doesn't quite know where she fits in with all that. And then there's Chummy, who just is glad that she can make her own clothes so that she can find things that fit. But I love all the little details of, like, the different colors. And even, like, on, on the set, you'll see, like, the, the little pictures that Jenny's glued up behind her bed, which isn't a costume of the bed dressing, but still just ways that the characters show their personality through clothes. And the 50s are such a fun time because you have so much going on in fashion and even getting into the 60s. I think Heidi Thomas said they could do a whole episode on tights. Like, that would be the plot, would just be Trixie wearing tights. <laughs> or, like, the the mini skirt is coming. I know it's coming. And it's just I, fun. And under- even, even the little midwife uniform. Yeah, when that gets a little update. The midwife uniform is legit. Like, in, especially at the mm-hmm. London, it really was designed by whoever they said it was designed by. I forgot. Yeah, I love that when she go when she goes yeah. to the London. I love that purple nurse's outfit. Yeah, mm. I know that's just crazy. But if I were gonna do cosplay for this show, that would be the one I would pick with the little belt. I love it. Mm. I loved how Jenny was just like I'm in slats when she was at the jazz place. Oh, yeah, I'm in like, slats. I don't know. I just don't know. What I'm like, oh my god. The hair is pretty amazing too. Trixie does yeah. a lot of cool. Love There's it. a lot of good hair to come, Kylie. Just yep. queuing you up there. A lot of good hair to come. I enjoy Jenny's victory rolls. I, I think that's I do fun. too. I love the girls. I that hairstyle a lot. But also, Sarah, do people cosplay Call the Midwife? I need to know this answer. I don't know, but we could start <laughs> it, couldn't we? It sounds like fun. Sure. Let's do it. Call the Midwife convention. I, I have a red cardigan. All right, halfway there. You are halfway there. All you need is a you know a blue kind of jumper thing, and you've got the whole you got the whole ensemble. Yeah, I'd do it. Sign me up. (laughs) Heard it here first. (laughs) Copyright TM. Oh, I guess we'll talk to the show. (laughs) If I couldn't have one of those purple nurse outfits, I'd go for the nuns' outfit so I don't have to do my hair. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You need a wimple. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sign me up. <laughs> well, and, and some of the ladies, the patients have amazing outfits. Like yeah. the one who had triplets. I'm like, yeah, you don't seem to have a lot of money, but your clothes and those shoes. Oh yeah. my gosh! Or we didn't talk about this, but the one, the lady from Jamaica. Yeah. Oh, her. She has some gorgeous clothes. The Jamaican woman. Yes. Yes. The patterns. I, I mean, I, I know that's what they were looking at specifically was just the difference in the patterns and the colors. But I was very, very into it. Yeah, we barely talked about that episode. And, of course, I think it was a very important one because it was a show, you know, the show's racial allegory, race discrimination place. And 
I thought it was very delicately done. I enjoyed the heartwarming ending that came mm-hmm. from it and that, you know, hearts and minds were changed, even if it was just one. Yeah, so but wasn't that the one where Sister Monica Joan hung up the phone when they called? Yes, that yes. is the one. Yeah. Ugh, I was so mad. Not great. Me too. Take, take her phone privileges away. Yeah, I was like, I don't think on. she has them. No, no, she shouldn't. No, yes, but I was like, come on. I know, Sister Monica Joan. Sister, my, my grandmother had dementia, and Sister Monica Joan reminds me. It's just, especially the sweets thing, and every time there's cake, and I'm like, yeah, that 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 track. I really want to see a flashback, and it would be played by a, a different actress, but of Sister Monica Joan in her heyday delivering babies. Oh, I would love to mm-hmm. see, like, a spin-off backstory type deal. Yeah. I want them during the war. I want That to know, would be interesting. Like, I want Evangelina on the motorbike. I want delivering babies while bombs are falling around. I, I want midwives during the war. That's a great... It would like, a spin-off. There you go. I, I would... Watch it. I would watch. Or at least yeah, a whole. You. I mean, even if they didn't do a spinoff, they could do like one whole flashback episode. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Would watch. Hundred percent. Agreed. I'm sure a lot of them have kids that probably look similar to them. <laughs> Whether they're actresses or not, I don't know. I love the actress. I don't know how to say her last name. She plays Sister Julianne, Jenny Agutter, or a. Yeah. Agutter. Yeah, yeah, she's lovely. Feet. My husband and I are rewatching all the Marvel Universe movies. Yeah. <laughs> She's in them. And I'm like, it's Sister Julianne. She, she is. is? She is. She yeah. is. Okay, I, I might get the ones confused. But I think it's the Avengers Part 2, Age of Ultron. Okay. She's in, she's in the first Avengers as well, but she's kind of a hologram in shadow. She's yeah. on the Security Council. Yeah, well, she's on the Security Council. The most is Captain America the Winter Soldier because that's when Natasha Romanoff pretends to be her yeah, still and think does the big okay. reveal, takes off the wig and the mask. Yeah. I'm sorry, did I step on your moment? No, I yeah, didn't but- remember what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I didn't remember which one it was because we're just watching them in order and I was yeah. like, it's Sister Julianne. My husband's like, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> it's weird um, seeing her so like cool. without the habit, right? Yeah, but I mean, and when she was young, she was in the movie Logan's Run, and she's like, her costume is like a piece of scrap cloth in that. Like, she's <laughs> a young babe, so I, I love see her. that. She well, does it all. Good job, you. This is as much a cue to rewatch Captain America Winter Soldier as I've ever heard, so there you mm-hmm. go. I did not realize. I even, she... I, I wore my, my WandaVision shirt for the occasion. Awesome. No, I didn't, nice. I didn't know we'd have to talk about it. Someday we'll talk about it. We're going to transition up. This is a plug for the future, Krista, and I know it's a comic book property, but you're just going to have to be okay that we're going to talk about the MCU TV on Couch Potatoes Unite. Okay, I know you do. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> but I'm very aware. I have a, I have a template called comic book No, TV I know. Shows. The, the, the joke was <laughs> you don't like to talk about comic book movies. It went over your head. That's fine. We're gonna I know it. what Captain America Winter Soldier <laughs> is. I'm not a plebe. Calm down. What I'm saying <laughs> is Sister Julianne was familiar, and thank you for placing her. <laughs> yeah. I know things. Just She's because really I don't know to watch like the Star Treks. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Allison, repeat what you were saying. No, was it's, trying it's, to do things. Be, because she, because Jenny Agater is, a, you know, she's of a certain age, so she was around during all this stuff when she talked about, because I think she was living in another country as a child and then came back to London in the 60s, so she kind of had that first hand. Like, I'm really excited that we're up to 1963 now because a London midwife cycled off to attend my birth in 1963. Oh, that's cool. That is oh, that's fun. Oh, so cool. That is really fun. That's cool. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it's a period drama, but we're not that far removed. I mean, my dad was born in 1956. Yeah. And the show begins in 1957. Like, it's not that long ago. Right. 65 years. Dad, Four. if you're listening, we've aged you. Sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's... That's funny that you said that. My mom won't mind me sharing. He probably will not listen. He he does not watch the sad nuns. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Hashtag sad nuns. That's our episode. <laughs> Great. Sarah, Nick, Nick will be so pleased. <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say it's my mom's 65th birthday today, so that oh, was her birthday. Okay. So, yeah, happy, happy birthday, birthday mom, Susan. if you're listening. I don't know if she'll listen to this because she doesn't watch this show, but she might. But yeah, she was born in 1956, so it's like you know, Perfect. not that they removed. Yeah. yeah. My, my parents were also born in 1956, and I thought they were 64, but they're 65, obviously. Mm. I And I was just having that moment of, duh. Math Kristen. aneurysm? Yeah, kind of. All right. <laughs> so. All right. Well, I thank you all so much for joining CPU today, this evening, to discuss a lovely program, and we will do it again sometime very soon was we need to discuss seasons three and four and beyond. That's true. Thanks for having are, us. So my question is, are oh, we going to keep you. watching, dear friends? It's a Always. series. They have oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a series. We have to do it. The next Technically, you don't have starts, to. The next season starts October 3rd. Oh. Season 10. On PBS. The Mean Girls Day. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's related. <laughs> I asked him what day it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's the subject of a Mean Girls podcast, which we're not going to do because we cover TV. You talked about Captain America. Because that's related to Marvel, which is on TV. <laughs> Krista, you want to do something? Uh, we also talked about Oliver, which is a musical, and Mean Girls is also now a Broadway musical. So it kind of still Okay, Allison, I'll give that to you because whenever Sarah's <laughs> on a panel, we talk about musicals at least once. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Facts, facts, facts. All right, Kylie, take it away. Thanks, non sequitur Kristen. I'd like to thank you for moderating our first episode of our Catching Up series of Call the Midwife. And I'd also like to thank Allison and Sarah and Gina and Vicki for joining Krista and I to talk about the first two seasons of Call the Midwife. But don't go too far, Call the Midwife fans, because we are catching up. We will be talking about the remaining seasons in subsequent episodes, but not without rolling the credits first. Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation Point was produced by Back Pocket Productions, run by yours truly, the Chief Couch Potato, which is really another way of saying executively produced by me, Kylie Piet. My associate producers are Krista Pennington and Celine Resmer. I edit this podcast, and our logo is by Rebecca Wallace. Our marketing graphic artist is Krista. Our theme song was written by Sarah Milbratz and sung by Sarah, Amy McDaniel, and Kels Resmer. 
Kaus played the keyboard, Ian McDonough played the bass, Christian Somerville played the guitar, and the whole shebang was engineered by Kyle Aspinall and Christian. We hail from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Please, if you like what you hear, take the time to rate us, give us stars, provide comments, or review us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and Amazon are just a few of the places you can find us, but we're also on YouTube. We have our website. Otherwise, feel free to tell us how we're doing, what we should add, subtract, keep, or toss. You know how it goes. And if you have suggestions for shows we might consider, contact us at our website where we have a guest book by email at couchpotatoesunitepodcast at gmail.com, our Facebook, our Twitter at CPU Podcast, our Instagram at couchpotatoesunite, or wherever you get your podcasts. Though, of course, we add new and old shows to chat about around the water cooler all the time and always have new episodes coming down the pipe. Just listen to our intros. If you miss old episodes or want to know in general what shows we cover, just search for us. Find us wherever you do searchable things on the internet. Don't forget that exclamation point or contact us via our website, our email, our social media accounts, and stay up on all the new events and episodes by our humble little podcast, Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point! Until the next time, Call the Midwife is available to stream through Series 9 currently on Netflix. Notably, Series 10 is not yet premiered in the USA, though, as Vicky just mentioned, it will on October 3rd, Mean Girls Day on PBS. In the meantime, our Call the Midwife panel will next reconvene very shortly, in fact, to talk Seasons 3 and 4 in Episode 2 of our five-part catch-up series. Until next time, until next episode, new episodes are published every Wednesday. Keep listening, keep watching, stay tuned! Bye-bye! Bye-bye! Bye!